Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, from credit card fraud to side hustles to investing in shares, we're talking about it all. Hey, on My Millennial Money, we talk about you, your life, all the stuff that you're going through. Every Tuesday, we bring you these episodes where we're just answering questions. This is a community podcast for the My Millennial Money community. If you are new to the show and you want to join the community, awesome. Just keep listening. Jump into the Facebook group, follow us on Instagram. You will absolutely be learning from other like-minded people. So a lot of us don't have access to being around like-minded people with the stuff that we want to focus on or stuff that we care about. But with My Millennial Money, you can do that with your money. We are here to support you and your financial goals. We can't do our Tuesday show without Sharesies. The Sharesies app has a feature called Auto Invest, which makes it easy to put your investing on repeat. Pick an order, the amount you want to regularly invest, and Auto Invest will place the orders for you. You can choose a pre-made Auto Invest order or create your own DIY order from a range of companies and exchange-traded funds listed on the AU, US, or NZ markets. Use the exclusive promo code MMM to get $10 added to your account, ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies platform. All investing involves risks, T's and C's and fees apply. Hey, my name's Glenn James. You're with John Pigeon from the My Millennial Property Podcast, and this is My Millennial Money. Strap in, let's get it on. John Pigeon, my millennial property podcast host extraordinaire. What's uh, what's our first little discussion point today? Amy Johnson, anyone had luck disputing a payment with their bank for a credit card transaction? For context, we were mistakenly charged one night at 250 Australian dollars for a night in a hotel in the UK we cancelled with notice and was on a flexi rate. Having no luck with a refund from the hotel, so I thought the next step would be hedge our bets with our bank. How does a dispute work if we've had no luck with the business and how long does it take? It's a lot of money for something we made no use of. Have you ever had a credit card fraud, Johnny? Uh, I've had a few transactions through some cards over the journey, yeah. Uh, fortunately, they were all repaid by the bank. So, mm. yeah, this is, uh, this is annoying, isn't it? Yeah, so the usual process is if your card is compromised and there are expenses on there that you didn't do, the insurance, aka often, you know, with credit cards, there might be 15% interest. So, you know, it's all unsecured debt. So there's so much money in credit cards where there's enough money floating around to just say to customers, yeah, if there's fraudulent stuff, we'll just wipe it and get on with our life. Like, could you imagine the amount of money that's written off uh, with uh, personal unsecured loans? However, I, I've had um, some disputes and namely I had a, a card skimmed at a, it was actually at a really large department store in the US and may have been an inside job from one of the workers and, you know, got home, looked at the internet banking and lo and behold, there was, you know, 
a few hundred dollar transactions. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just logged into the app and I think I clicked the things and said, look, um, this has been fraud, canceled the card, did all that. And what happens is the credit card company, they will generally go and put a query on the retailer and say, hey, is this a legitimate thing? And a lot of the time, if it's a big retailer, they probably won't even look at it. They'll just be like, yeah, whatever, it's fraud, sorry, all that stuff. However, if, for example, there was a small business like your business, John Solvay Wealth, and someone used a credit card that was fraudulent, right, and they spent $800 with you for a couple of clarity calls or whatever, and you may get a phone call from Visa or MasterCard and say, hey, Glenn James was in here. He's disputing this payment as fraud. Do you have any evidence that you actually collected that money from him? And you would say, oh, yeah, it was definitely him. And they'll say, all right, put the query back up the chain. No fraud. He must have just forgot that he spent that money. Or if it is a, hey, there's fraud here. Yeah, we'll honor it, blah, blah, blah. So they will look and I just think what I'm getting at is these big national companies probably don't look at that in a lot of detail. But, you know, if you get a query as a small business from the card manufacturer, uh, they'll probably investigate a little bit. But all that to say, I'm reading this here, Amy, and in terms of the credit card and getting a a dispute, well, it's it's not a fraudulent transaction unless, I mean, you can put the dispute in and say, hey, but I would also imagine you'd want to cancel the card because the card has been compromised. I think it's more of an issue with the hotel chain yeah, as opposed to a credit card because when you dispute credit card payments, it's usually because of fraud. You actually authorise the hotel to take that money. Not saying that their policies were great and whatnot. Um, I'm sure it's in the fine print, but in this instance... I, I think you, you, you're not going to have much of a chance of getting that money back because the card has not been compromised and they could query the hotel chain and say, oh, can we see the signature of the person who signed for this? They'll provide the details. Oh, no, Amy, you signed for this. It's not fraudulent, so we're not covering it. So, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to flag that one because it's a very interesting thing. I would probably try and get in touch with the hotel again via phone if you haven't um, and clearly highlight um, these were the rates, these were the terms. I dare say there might be something somewhere in the fine print where there's a catch-all. However, I stayed in a hotel over the weekend, John, and I used points for it and I got the invoice emailed to me and there was an $80 charge on the hotel and I'm like, what the hell? I paid for points and, you know, because you stay that much and you don't really read things, I'm like, oh, don't tell me there was a bloody like $80 fee. Mini bar. Yeah, to use the points or something like that. And I just emailed them back the reception and I'm like, oh, hey, there's $80 charge here. I use points. And they replied and were like, oh, yeah, our error. Sorry, we'll refund it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah you just got to be onto it. I, I'm, And this is why, you know, there's always more sometimes to the story, but just in this case, Amy, I don't think it's a easy sell to say that uh, we need to dispute a payment with our bank yeah, because you authorised that. 
yeah, it's not a bank issue. It's definitely a, a hotel issue. I, I would I would go up the chain and see who runs this hotel, and mm. and it's probably a chain of hotels, isn't it? So let's go up the <sighs> yeah, up but, the uh, ladder a little bit. Yeah, but it's like anything. Like these big companies, right? Like how often would you just like I can't be bothered sitting on hold for an hour with some call center somewhere. It's just yeah. like. And that's the problem. Sounds like, you know, I'm an old old guy like you, John, like back in my day, you could just pick up the phone. and. But yeah, that's that's the problem, isn't it? With these big corporates, you're almost like, I don't know, priced out. Or like, it's like when the lawyers, like they just waste lots of time to keep you paying money when you're disputing someone. Yeah. But at the same time, you'd say, well, that's for a bigger chain, that's so insignificant to them, just get it done. Mm. Like you've got to go in with the right tune, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, good luck, Amy. Mm. David, hey all, just a shares related question. And this is a good little learning spot for anyone who invests in shares. When the ex-dividend date is announced, for example, 5 September with a pay date of the 29th, do you get paid the dividends for shares you buy on the 3rd of September or is the cutoff date the dividend announcement? I feel like I'm complicating it in my mind. And what I did, I just a shout out to Jonathan in the Facebook group. He answered this perfectly. You must own the shares on the record date to be eligible for the dividend. So the record date is when they do a, a look at the register, who owns shares on this date. This is usually the day after they go ex-dividend and he goes on to say, if you bought on the 3rd of September as above and they went ex-dividend on the 5th of September, you should qualify for the dividend payment. And this is a very important point here um, that Jonathan makes that will kind of, it kind of stops people from doing smash and grabs and abusing the system or whatnot. You also need to own the shares for 45 days to claim any franking credits. If you sell before this time, you just get the cash dividend. So, it's kind of to stop people just going, oh, this company's about to pay a big franked dividend. I'll just go and load it up with a million dollars, smash and grab, get the dividend and walk away. So yeah, it's a good question. Um, it is. So you've just got to remember um, the key dates, the record date, and then the ex-dividend date. All right, John, there's a question here from Greggy Greg. Boy. There is. Greg in the Facebook group. Looking for tax advice from those with side hustles. I work full-time office job during the day, earning about 90 grand, but play in a wedding band on the side. So we've got the wedding singer here. Yeah. I'm really unsure of what deductions I should be considering for lodging my tax return. I've created a spreadsheet and I've earned about 13 grand from the past financial year for my music business. I'm worried that this might mean that I'll get stung with a serious tax bill. Is anyone in a similar situation or does anyone have any advice on what deductions I can look at to try and minimize this potential bill? I was thinking suits I've purchased for the weddings won't be covered, fuel, you'd have to keep a record, music equipment, possibly, and gear, but I'm not sure. Are there any other implications or considerations I should be taking into account? As always, advice is always welcome and appreciated. Cheers. So, a lot going on there with the wedding singer. What are your um, initial thoughts, John? Well, they are thoughts and probably not advice. Uh, I would, yeah, look, I suppose 13K rounded out a, a, a grand a month, right? So it's a, it's a good old side hustle going on. 
So I think the first part of it for most people is, well, how much do I have to pay to the ATO as a result of earning this extra income? So it's definitely a, a question straight to your accountant and, and sitting down with them and forward planning, I think, and saying, well, is this be going to become a regular occurrence and, and do we need to set it up in a different manner? Is it just in your personal name now, my sole trader, or what's going on? Have I just earned this money on the side? And if I'm claiming expenses, you, you're obviously uh, declaring the income. So um, you've got to look at both sides there. But I, I think, yeah, does Greg want this to be a full-time gig? Does he want to, no pun intended, Glenn, does he want mm -hmm. to actually turn this into his full-time uh, employment or business? And if he does, then I think it need, would need to be structured the right way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for the 13K that we've got now, we've got to be putting a good chunk of that aside for the, the tax return when he does it. What do you think? Yeah, I just want to first say like, it's okay to pay tax on earnings. Yes. I don't want you to go and say, oh, I need to go and blow $1,000 on a new microphone that I just use for weddings. I don't really need it. It's just equipment. Because that $1,000, right, it's still, your, your net difference is worse off than just paying 34.5% uh, tax on that money. Because, because it's... Going down in value. Well, not only that, it's just like I'm spending a thousand dollars to not pay um, thirty-four cents. Thirty-four cents in the yeah. dollar. Like yeah. I'm spending a thousand dollars not to pay three hundred dollars in tax. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So we never, we never ever live our lives that way because there is a big misconception out there, and I'm not talking to Greg. I'm talking to everyone out there. When you spend money uh, for the business and claim it as a tax deduction. When you get the cash back, you don't get 100% of the money back. The government do not give people money for buying stuff. Not at all. They'll give you tax offsets and all that. So the first step is you're on 90 grand. If we add the 13 grand to that, you're still under the $120,000 threshold, uh, which puts you in the 32.5 uh, cents each for each dollar or the 32.5% plus the 2% Medicare levy. So what I would probably do is set up a separate bank account just for tax and every time you get paid, even if you just put 40% of your earnings in that account, that will cover the tax because if this keeps on going on, when you do your tax return, the government will end up sending you a quarterly um, instalment notice after you do your first one. So you'll have to pay, you know, if there was loosely speaking, $4,500 worth of tax. Every quarter going forward, they'll send you a, a notice and say, you've got to pay $1,100 worth of tax. They kind of get self-employed people, sole traders, um, like employees pay tax as they go. When you run a small business and have an ABN, um, you'll get to the fact where the government want their money as you go as well. So first and foremost, set up a separate bank account every single time if you get paid $1,000 uh, for a wedding gig, put $350, $400 in a separate account just for tax. And at least you know, at the end of the year when the bill comes, that's fine. Then in terms of uh, deductions, you won't be able to use a suit for your wedding um, because that's not a uniform. The only way to get around that would be to get a couple of suits, get them embroidered with Greggy Boy, the wedding singer, your logo, and then it's an official uniform. 
that way you can um, claim your uniform expenses on this work. In terms of fuel, what you could do, you could keep a logbook of how many kilometers that you travel to uh, those events. And then at the end of the year, you can give that logbook to your accountant and say, oh, over the last year, I traveled a thousand kilometers um, based on this. And they would claim a thousand kilometers or whatever it is uh, as an expense. Uh, in terms of music equipment, absolutely. If you want to buy a portable PA that you just use for weddings, you could buy that and um, talk with your accountant whether they write it off instantly under the rules of the time or they depreciate it out. Uh, but look, my overarching comment here, John, is we just want to get out there, have direction, generate money, put money aside for tax. We might get some of that wedding singer money, reinvest it back into the side hustle, grow the business and then transition to, you know, we're a full-time wedding band and all that stuff, which has its own problem because it's such a cyclical um, or cyclical, whatever they say, industry. Or we're doing a side hustle and this kind of goes in, you know, the reasons why I think you should do side hustles. Number one, you've got a short-term money goal and you just need money coming in to smash it and grab it. Number two, you've got some debt that you want to get rid of. So you just short term smash and grab. Uh, the next reason you'd get a side hustle is uh, you want to transition from your full job to your own self-employed thing. And you usually start with a side hustle. And the fourth thing is I just like doing it. And then it's not really about the money. So the reason I'm getting at is you can get burned out doing a side hustle forevermore if you're putting that money into your general living expenses because you won't be able to get off that treadmill if you're using that side hustle money to pay for subscriptions, car payments and all that stuff. Yeah, it might be. If, if it's going to continue the way it is, office job 90K, that might not be going to 150 overnight. So the, the tax position mightn't change too much. And if he wants to continue earning that sort of grand a month, then he doesn't have to alter too much, does he? But if it all of a sudden he's earning over 70 grand part-time, then he's got GST issues and all his other things as well to think about. So yeah, good stuff, Greg. So that's, that's what I'm saying in terms of the implications. Like there's probably not much you can claim, um, but definitely set that tax aside and yeah, let the, let the show go on. Hey, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Welcome back to the podcast. This is the community segment of the week where we ask funny, weird, helpful stuff in the Facebook group and we read out your responses here. We can't do this segment without the help of Sky Wealth, sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Got to get your life insurance sorted. You've got to get your income insurance sorted. I had a friend the other day. She got a full trauma claim. I'm going to get her on the podcast to tell her story. It's wild absolutely wild. You get one shot at setting up your insurance, so you just got to get it sorted. John, what did we ask the group this week? All right. You know your poor when. Tamara <laughs> says, <laughs> you click the comments to feel something. Yeah. You know, I actually, this came about when we had our team week a few weeks ago in the city or probably a couple of months ago now. Mm-hmm. We're walking through and there was this, I think we're walking through like Westfield in the CBD and, you know, there's like these brands and I said to the team, I'm like, you know you're poor when you don't even know the brand or how to pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, Josh, put that in the Facebook group. Um, You know you're poor when Chris said, ooh, you're reading this on an Android phone. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Chris, settle down. Gel, you replaced the $12.78 pack of chicken breast fillets you're holding because you saw a cheaper pack that cost $11.43. Yeah, I've done that before, Gel. Jake, when you sell baby powder to dunk your mates for... (laughs) Drunk mates. (laughs) When you sell your baby powder to your drunk mates for $380 a gram. I don't know if that's poor or smart. I'm going to try that. Good thinking, Jake. Mm. Kevin... You listen to My Millennial Cabbage. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'm going with it. Cabbage is money, Glenn. Uh, is it? Um, yeah. Andrew said you go to bed for dinner. Steve, <laughs> 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 uh, might have happened the other day. Steve said when you lift the fuel hose and you give it a shake <laughs> to get every last drop of the $10.02 of fuel, then you chose to pay cash to glean the extra two cents for free. <laughs> Steve. I know what he feels about the uh, the fuel hose with the leak though, the, the little bit of uh, extra yeah, the at the end. Mm. <laughs> Sandra, you introduce 48-hour fasting on a weekly basis but tell your mates it's for the health benefits. Yeah, it's called fasting, Sandra. Very good. To Neil, you super glue two five-cent <laughs> pieces together and paint them with gold pen and try and pass it as $2 coin. It worked, by the way. <laughs> also, when we were 17 and just moved out of home, we were buying cigarettes. Shameful. Oh, that's, that's actually, I don't know, maybe someone, oh, I don't want to promote money printing, but the government's do it all the time, but like <laughs> turning 10 cents into $2, that's a good return on the investment. Hey, we'll bump out of this uh, segment and we'll move on right now. All right, housekeeping. Not much in housekeeping at the moment. We're just um, we've come out a bit of a, a promotional uh, blitz of some different webinars and my digital workshop. Uh, but I just want to remind everyone: if you are interested in just five minute daily stuff, we've got our podcast, My Millennial Daily. You don't need to listen to it if you listen to our shows in full here. But if you want to just listen five minutes a day. Uh, to different variety of topics and questions answered and discussion points from all our podcasts. My Millennial Daily can be listened wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, 
And the My Money Journal, we've actually got heaps of them. We bought heaps of them and we're trying to sell them because they're actually good. Taking up space. <laughs> yeah, but they're really good. And like everyone who's like purchased one, they've got lots of value out of it. And mm. it's not a traditional money journal. It is just a more of a, or like a budgeting journal. It's more of a tool to use to get your thoughts out of your mind and onto paper. So we'll put a link in the show notes for the My Money Journal. I've swung full circle getting it back down on paper again. I'm just really? sick of right typing and I just want, I just, you, you know, you sit down, you can just open the pages and have a look and highlight and play around like the, like the old days, Glenn. Mm, absolutely. Um, look, there's a question here from Sally. Hi, all. My husband and I are trying to future plan. Well, I am anyway, she says. We want to potentially buy an investment property but I feel like that's at least three years away as I will need to be back at work full-time on maternity leave and tiny people at home at the moment. I want to know how to best use the next three years to get to a point where this is possible. I'm meeting with two financial planners in the future. I'm binge listening to the podcasts. We are in our late 30s and early 40s. So probably need to maximize management of our money over the next 20 years. Any tips outside of saving as much as possible and getting rid of debt. Yeah, so the first thing that you must do is get rid of any consumer debt. It's going to have high interest. It's going to be a big chunk of your cash flow that comes out of your bank every single month. The best way to feel behind financially and to go backwards financially is to hang as much crap off your budget as possible. That's the best way if you want to go backwards cause and effect. Well, how do we go forwards with our finances? Well, we have a lean and agile budget. We cut out the fat. We make sacrifices to the things that we know that are luxuries. We know that we are indulging ourselves, and we want to win for the future. So we cut back on crap that we don't need and we keep a lean and agile budget. I mean, and part of that is to pay off any consumer debt and not to go into consumer debt again. That's what you do in theory. In practice, it's a lot harder and that's why you need to do one thing at a time. But John, on this buying an investment property, this is a an interesting one. And I just, if you will indulge me for a moment, John, and maybe just help with this. If Sally and her husband already owns a house that has some equity in there, it's a never say never because when you buy an investment property, some of the rent that that property receives will go towards servicing the mortgage. And this is what, you know, speak to a mortgage broker. But often people said, oh, we can't do this because of that. But if you actually have a look at the situation, mm, it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was one thing I had written down here is I would get a borrowing capacity every six months. Regardless, don't worry about the three-year thing of going back full time. Just go and check what's happening out there because uh, – Products, financial products change all the time, interest rates changing, banks' appetite for risk change. Uh, so there's, there's everything moving. So check in every six months and see, can we actually go and borrow? You, you're right. You can use the rental income as servicing. So up to 80% from, for a lot of lenders of the, of the total rental income. So if you've got a high-yielding property, and that might not be the sole reason for going buying that property, but if you've got a reasonable yield, then that, that, that may help, uh, mightn't be the game changer, but it'll definitely assist. But yeah, I, th- I think going and, and saying, first of all, 
I'm presuming also that they've got their own principal place of residence and and not feeling deflated that they may not be able to do anything for the next three years. I think it's uh, we've already got assets working for us. We're contributing to super, so super's working for us. We've got our principal place of residence, so that may be going up in value in the next three years. And we're bringing kids into the world, so that's an achievement in itself. So looking at what's actually happening and, and saying at the end of each year, well, what am I worth? If I, if I look at my assets minus my liabilities or my debts, what am I actually worth? And is that increasing year on year? And if it is, I'm still winning. It doesn't just because I'm not buying that extra asset doesn't mean that I'm not moving forward. So I think it's giving yourself a little bit of a pat on the back first and foremost as well. Yeah. And I'm just looking at her comments on the Facebook group. Gabrielle said, is it worth meeting a financial advisor as they may tell you stuff you already know? True. Uh, but you know, Let maybe alone not true. true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, do you have an emergency fund? Do you have a PPOR? Gabrielle said, have you been through the Glenn James spending plan? Sally said, I hope so. All knowledge is worth having, even if the attempt is limited. Absolutely have an emergency fund. I'm doing the spending plan, but time on a computer is limited. I don't know what PPOR is or it's not an acronym I'm aware of. Okay, awesome. So I love this because people in the Facebook group have come around and just helped crowd solve Mm. this problem. Mm. If you are new to all this stuff, PPOR is money talk for... Principal place of residence. There we go. Were you looking at me because there was a lag when I pointed at the camera? Was yeah. that just the remote <laughs> thing? I was looking down and yeah, okay. I saw your finger. <laughs> yeah. What was it doing? So this is awesome. So already Sally is starting to learn about this stuff. But you might be sitting there, Sally, and, and saying, well, I'm actually looking at every area of my financial life and, and I'm mm. doing everything I can. So that's okay. I think mm. we get onto these forums and we talk to different people and we start comparing and, and we, we get hard on ourselves. Like the, there might not be physically anything you can do over the next three years other than doing what you're already doing and bringing your kids up. Yeah. And that's okay. Totally. And it's so funny, like I even look back because I don't have spawn yet or I haven't spawned, whatever you say. Good to but, say yet. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm running out of time, TikTok. Um, maybe I need to do that donation thing and get some out there in the wild. <laughs> An egg. <laughs> hey, if, you, if you're interested in having a family with me, just slide into my DMs. Nah. Um, no, but actually, you know what, Sally, I'm going to send you a copy of my book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. I'll put a, a thing in the comments. There's actually a, um, a five-step plan to buying um, property in there and that will really help. Uh, any other considerations? I mean, looking back, because I haven't spawned, I can look at when my sister spawned. You know, the time passes pretty fast when you look back on it. So my humanity, human to human advice would be just until you get back to work over the next three years. And I love that she's talking about, she's got her head screwed on because she's planning the next three years. Like if you do nothing over the next three years, keep your emergency fund intact keep out of consumer debt, pay off any debt and be the best mum that you can, I reckon you won't regret that because then we can go, all right, back into the workforce full time. We've got our um, home. There is some meat into it. We can step into an investment property tomorrow. Mm. One last finishing piece on that. A lot of people come to me and say, oh, I've, I've only got 500K. I'm going to wait until I can get something decent. Mm. 
there's good stock, there is good investments out there for under 500k. So again, not saying this is you, Sally, but it may be, you may be sitting there saying, I can only borrow 350,000, 400,000, I can't go and buy yet. I can't buy for another three years. Have a look at what your strategy needs to be, but then look at your price point and say, well, actually, yeah, I can't buy in this area, but I can actually buy something over here. And this is the yield I'm going to get. And getting in now, as opposed to three years, can make a, a massive difference. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Shell asks, is anyone an architect or have experience putting an objection to council for a proposed planning permit? From what I can tell, a proposed build next door to my house will impact the sunlight in my backyard, but I need help reading the plans and then advice on what to do next. So have you had this type of experience, John? I mean, anecdotally, if you're in suburbia, you know, like most of us live, I think that might be just part of life. Um, I do know some councils and I've had builder friends, they've been building a house and before they start as part of the council thing, they have to put up these, have you ever seen them, those big stakes? Yeah. So they're like, this is what the height would be. So um, like, I guess it is, it's a real concern because, you know, council do advertise this stuff so neighbours can consult and it might be, we're going to lose too much sun. Can you put, I don't know, the cutout on the other side or I don't know, like... Yeah, I've actually got a friend who's going through this at the moment. Interesting. You should call them right now without telling them. <laughs> I might get him online. He's on the receiving end, unfortunately. He is already there, established home that he only built, um, well, I want to say three years ago. Uh, next door, recently bought, demolished the house and have now put up two townhouses. And right. He has objected to council about it. He believes that there's uh, – because they talk about open space and um, shadow diagrams and, and, and basically where the where the shadows are at certain times of the day mm. and where they can and can't be and he believes it's, it's illegal and whatever. Um, look, at the end of the day, you, you need to speak to a town planner about whether they're in the right or in the, in the wrong about what they're going to do in their plans. And you've, because you're close to the neighbour, you can ask for the plans and you should have a period that you can um, question what uh, or object to that. There's no problems with that. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough one being in suburbia, as you mentioned, because you know you're going to have neighbours that come and go, knock down house, build up a big, uh, build a bigger one, and it is unfortunately a part of life. But yeah, look at what they're drawing up and look at what the plans are to see if, uh, if they are going beyond the, the yeah, realms of illegal. Yeah, but you said the, um, the right word then, town planner. I've actually called town planners at the council lots of times and they'll chat with anyone. It's actually Correct. really good. So hmm. probably, Shell, instead of, um, you know, paying for an architect or someone to help you decipher, maybe it is a call to the town planner, give them the details and say, can you just tell me in layman's terms, you know, what the process is? If And you could be anonymous. You really could. If yeah. this property... Um, caused shadow for most of the day over the yard, um, you know, because they're about to knock over a single house and put four townhouses there. Um, So that's probably the more we kind of 
chew this up, this question, the first thing I'm doing is probably calling the town planner and they should be able to really help because they they want the best outcome. They're not on the side of the developer or the new builder. In fact, it's often quite the opposite. So yeah, and you could say, look, this is the deal. Um, how do I know from the diagrams that it will impact? I want to put a formal objection in yeah. um, until they can prove that it won't impact me. So I think that's fair and reasonable to to do that and talk to a town planner. Failing that, you may even just Google a local drafts person or something like that, someone who's maybe not an architect but someone who knows um, a bit of what's happening. You, you know, you could pay them an hourly rate just to sit, sit with you and go through some stuff. Yeah, I'm a little bit out of my wheelhouse but it was just <laughs> quite an interesting um, question that we haven't really talked about that much. Yeah, and, and I think unfortunately, Shell, if they're complying with, with the shadow diagrams according to council requirements – uh, and yes, it may impact your backyard, but unfortunately, that's the council um, development rulings and the, the standards that they set within your council. So it may be a case of it is what it is and, yeah, get on with mm. life. But it's worth looking into. But, yeah, definitely town planner. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a podcast go up and I'm just reading this now. Molly said, listening to... Um, podcast 635 with much interest. The conversation was around housing affordability and housing and supply. You're right that it is about supply, but there is more nuance to the conversation that is often discussed on the pod. We need to start talking about housing supply in the context of well-located housing near major transportation hubs, jobs, and amenity. We also need to talk about housing diversity in the context of one and two apartments and townhomes. There is certainly not a shortage of often three-bedroom detached homes on the outskirts of major cities. The hosts note that councils are often the ones to blame for not approving applications fast enough. That's us, John. This is not the case. And if you just look at the permit data of most councils, it will show you this. There needs to be more discussions around what developers are willing to deliver in terms of well-located and higher-density properties. It's like pulling teeth to get them to deliver the right housing in the right place. Let's bring them into this conversation as well, along with state governments. Thanks for letting me rant. Love the pod. So that's a really interesting um, thing. I would probably like to say one thing. Just recently, you might remember, John, New South Wales government announced that they want to build up more than out because per... Uh, dwelling, it costs more to build on the outskirts of Sydney, for example, where there's no infrastructure than it is to build a high-rise apartment. So mm. absolutely. I think we just kind of talk, um, a lot of our listeners, Molly, do live in suburbia, not within, you know, 20 or 30 Ks of the cities. Uh, so we kind of have to, you know, and I get what you're saying. Um, I always like talking about this stuff and yeah, I, I still stand by the fact that councils are slow. Like, totally they are. And well, particularly the ones, you know, within stone throw of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Molly, I love your rant, but you're wrong. No, <laughs> no, no, I won't joke. Um, yeah, I, it's, it goes higher than the councils. Definitely no doubt about that. It's, it's definitely a, a state and national government issue. Uh, did I say that right? Um, it's delivering more homes right across the country is is the issue. And like locally, 
We've got an issue here at the moment. I used to live across from this person. They've been in council for two years over this stump or this tree that had to be removed and was removed and then there's uh, soil contamination and it's just gone beyond a joke to the point where they've, they've had this vacant block of land now for over two years. And, and it should have been well and truly built by now. Right, that's just one example um, because councils have got this red tape that at the end of the day is extremely insignificant um, in a lot of cases, not every case, but um, in a lot of cases it is. So they're definitely holding the process up. I was talking to a guy in Victoria last week um, down on the ground in Bendigo, a builder, and they have issues after issues with not only council but the local authorities like um, the um, uh, it's called Colliburn Water down there who run the sewer um, and then the electricity like the power core. These companies trying to get them in line with developments is extremely hard. So it's it's when we say council, it's, it's everything else involved at that mm. local level. I just think, you know, if I can rant Molly, I think the biggest kind of, oh gosh, I'll say disgrace with state and federal governments in the last... 40 or 50 years is the lack of legitimate infrastructure execution and planning. Mm. And it's just disgusting. And it all goes back to three-year government terms. That's what it is. And, you know, you look particularly though, and I can't speak for everywhere, but for those who know the North Sydney part of the country, so from uh, Taramara at the end of the M1, and you can go from that M1 basically straight to Brisbane now with only about five sets of traffic lights, from the end of the M1 into Sydney, down through the North Shore, Lower North Shore, onto the Harbour Bridge, that old Pacific Highway, they just keep building towers and apartment buildings, same train line. It's the same lack of bus services. It's the same lack of spaces for cars. Mm. Like it's just such a horrendous thing and it only costs governments more as time goes on because they've got to reclaim land and all that stuff. So it's such a nuanced discussion. And if it hasn't been up on the podcast yet, uh, it will be very shortly. I've actually booked, John, a discussion with an independent federal government member, uh, Ligra Spender, as she's doing an independent kind of review of the tax system and all that stuff. And it kind of, you know, some of the stuff she's talking about is and are state issues, but far out, it's so bad that the cost of housing is unattainable for a lot of people. Like, I don't know, I just, it's so bad. And rental increases and all that, like we are at major, major beyond even, not even at, we are beyond catastrophic crisis point. And for a developed nation, every successive government, federal and state who has been in power have let the general population down. Because it yeah, shouldn't have no got doubt. to this. No. Like it's horrendous. Oh, like the homelessness and people living in cars now is is beyond a joke. And um, and the amount, like even I think one good thing that's starting to happen now is uh, uh, control over Airbnb and making sure that they're now, the regulations change to the point where they can't just leave them vacant during the week and then make a mozza on a weekend. They've, mm. uh, they need to be, to have long-term tenants in uh, these properties, like that's a that's a great start. Yeah, but and essentially I, nothing's going to happen until they build more. Yeah, and and this is the problem, uh, Molly. That you know, when we've got a national audience, 
She said there is certainly not a shortage of three-bedroom detached homes on the outskirts of many major cities. I mean, well, some of the major cities I know, there, there are. Mm. Um, so this is and this is really hard doing a, a national podcast and, you know, I can only use the example of when I'm driving down Sydney North Shore, there's more uh, apartments going up than Shanghai. Um, mm. Mm. Remember when we went to Shanghai? Yeah, like how, I was just seeing like, that the other week. Remember, like, you would go from the airport out to wherever we were going or whatever, and it's like eight-lane highway straight. Like, they've just gone infrastructure, done, built. And there's not, you know, sure, they've probably trashed the environment along the way because they don't do any of that consulting. Yeah. Uh, But just, I mean, there's got to be a dance. (laughs) They just get it done. And you you go into the middle and you look out over the, which must be like 100 k's, and there's Mm. just, you go 10k and then there's massive apartment buildings and then another 10k and then more apartment buildings. Like it's just such a massive area, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a lot more that we can keep saying on this issue of housing and affordability. Like, I've got friends and there's people listening that you've got two full-time incomes, good incomes, maybe over 80 or 100 grand, 70 grand each, right? Mm. You are living in a standard of living that you can't breathe. Like it's so horrendous. Yeah. There needs to be some type of tipping point or the government needs to step in. Something's got to break. And I don't like, and this is why I need to talk to people that are a lot smarter than me, but I should also get that Greens spokesperson for housing on. Because they say, and this is the thing, like it's not really a political podcast, but that's why I want to get the independent uh, lady on because it's yeah, more independent, independent than, <laughs> you know, just propagating blue or red. Yeah. But like, and, I yeah. don't know where, where Molly's living, but... Uh, Take, for example, Carolyn Springs, which was a new suburb about 20 years ago in Melbourne. Now it's, it's still on the outskirts a bit, but like you look mm. at the vacancy rates there of housing and it's under 1%, so which is basically no vacancies, right? So, and you look at any of these outer lying suburbs and you'll see the same stats. So mm. until they're four or 5%, we've got a housing problem, mm. an undersupply. Molly lives, I just opened her Facebook profile. Oh, in, <laughs> in, here we go, Melbourne. There you go. So Look she, out. Caroline Springs. So, yes, she would see a lot of these new homes and estate after estate, but we're still not keeping up with the population influx. And I would also say, and this is why, you know, it's just different with the experiences that you have, like in the experience that we've had with developers and what I personally had with the developers, right? Like I've done deals with developers, right? Um, put money in, been involved with development, you know, getting all that dirty money and, you know, being a capitalist pig. I've done all that. And I can tell you there is so much consultation with councils and developers. Yeah. Like I categorically know that, but that's just the experience that I've had. I don't know if there is experiences that Molly has had where different places, they might just throw the keys to the block of land to the developer and go do what you want. But in the experience that I've had with Central Coast Council, uh, Newcastle City Council, and I think Hornsby Shire Council with some projects, the developers and the council 100% are always working together. But the developers 99% of the time are frustrated with the, the pace at which the councils work. 
Yeah, which, sure, and they just want to make as much money and this is why it's a bit of an ecosystem. Like a developer takes on a lot of risk. Sure, they make a lot of money um, and I could have rants for days on dodgy developers and we should have rants for days on dodgy developers but, you know, the ones that we've had on the show from Third Eye, for example, you know, they're doing some great things. Yeah, and and I went to um, Commercial Property Forum in Sydney a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about the crackdown on uh, dodgy apartment developers and how they've they've really lifted the standards on it, which they needed to, um, to the point where it's uh, it's actually pulling a lot of those developers out of the game altogether, oh, which, yeah, is, which is fantastic yeah. for standards. But again, from a supply point of view, it puts extra pressure on again. Yeah, and that's the thing is like long. you've always got to have a long-term thinking. Mm. Do we want short-term crap? supply with yeah. walls falling over <laughs> or long-term quality. And, yeah. you know, as, as hard as it is, I'm, I've got to go long-term quality. Um, totally, yeah. So, yeah, look, lots to chew on there. I don't think we're finished yet in this season. Um, I've really got my, uh, my panties in a pickle, my <laughs> goat in a guillotine. I've got my, you know, head in a helmet on this kind of issue, <laughs> like... It's actually just pissing me off. The more I think about it, um, how hard it is for young Australians to build a life mm. um, and not be living week on week. And I'm not even talking about those who are up to their eyeballs in debt and who aren't managing their money. Mm. Legitimate, even listeners of this podcast who have got good incomes, who are living within 50Ks of a capital city, are just treading water. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And it all comes back to the cost of housing, a lot of it, um, more so than anything. Can I give a shout out to uh, uh, an organisation that's doing wonderful things out there for the homeless? Yes. I'm running Sydney Marathon in a couple of weeks. I'll probably run it by the time uh, this drops. Mm. But uh, in support of Orange Sky Laundry, now some of your listeners may have heard of Orange Sky Laundry. That was founded probably about 10 years ago. Uh, They got these buses or or vans and deck them out with washing machines and go around to certain spots around the country. I think there's 37 outlets now and and meet with the homeless and wash their clothes and give them a shower and and more than just that, they give them a a listening ear and and chat to them and um, basically give them as much as they can for the the time they've got available. So they're doing unbelievable things um, and, and helping one person at a time doesn't solve the broader issue that we've just spoken about, but mm. it definitely makes their life a little bit easier on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, bit of a rant, but yeah, love the chat. Love the chat. I just want to actually finish as a, a bit of a PSA encouragement for anyone. Um, as you know, I've been doing uh, a TAFE course, uh, Certificate 2 not going to lie, not the hardest thing I've done on the planet, um, but it is a start in a direction. Uh, TAFE all around Australia have a heap of free courses uh, that are, you know, it would have been six grand for this course, but, you know, federal government initiative, you know, they pumped a heap of money into TAFE. There's heaps of TAFE digital courses. Realistically, get involved. Like if you don't know what you want to do and you want to upskill, like I did my RSA the other day. I did my first aid the other day. So it's like I'm job ready. I can rock up and go, yeah, I'm ready to go, baby. 
um, do a certificate two or three or four at TAFE. I was looking at doing um, certificate four in workplace training and assessment because I'm like, yeah, could be a good little thing to upskill. I do a lot of teaching as it is with um, money stuff. Maybe one day I'll be a teacher at TAFE uh, a couple of days a week and teach financial services. I don't know, but I just want to encourage anyone, take advantage of this good stuff. You know, we the people have paid for these TAFE courses with our taxes and it's kind of going back into the community. So Mm. there is no excuse if you don't have the money to upskill. You just need a bit of time because TAFE Digital even have, you know, free courses of drop-in, drop-out. So get in there, get out there, get through there, all that stuff. Um, It's just a really good thing to start your journey in a new direction. And, you know, you might not know what you want to do, but you might say, look, I'm going to do workplace training and assessment because I might learn something. It's going to be on my register as a qualification. It might be a good thing. uh, And we'll see where the road uh, takes us. Well done. So, yeah. All right, John. Thanks, everyone, for having a listen. I feel like it was a bit of a weird episode today, but um, anyway, yeah. had to do everything <laughs> today. Yeah. All right. Love your work, guys, and Bye we'll up. see you next week. Bye. 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 We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.